We're happy to make podcasts available for selected ed webinars for your listening pleasure. If you'd like to receive a CE certificate, you must watch the video recording. Recordings and quizzes can be found in the EdWebinar archives. Please visit home.edweb.net slash podcasts for more information. Hello, everyone, and welcome. We are thrilled to have all of you here this afternoon. We've got a big crowd and it continues to grow. As you sign in, we would appreciate you letting us know where you're coming in from today, because I know we've got folks from all over the globe joining us for this discussion today. Uh, we are just thrilled to have this conversation on artificial intelligence and generative AI, and it, we are going to empower a deeper conversation this afternoon. I'm Ann McMullen, and I will be your host and moderator for this discussion this afternoon, and I am just thrilled to be joined by our three superintendents and our AI subject matter experts. So we will be having a conversation with Dr. Matthew Friedman, who is superintendent of Quakertown Community School District in Pennsylvania, and Dr. Kelly Mae Vollmer, superintendent of Desert Sands Unified School District in California, Dr. David Miyashiro, superintendent of Cajon Valley Union School District in California, and Mr. Pete Just, who is a certified education technology leader, serves as executive director of the Indiana CTO Council, and is COSIN's AI subject matter expert. So we're happy to have all of these leaders and expertise uh, folks with us today. We will be starting in just one minute, but wanted to give everybody a chance to, to join in and be with us as we do get started. Uh, this is a presentation done together with AASA, the School Superintendents Association, and COSIN, the Consortium for School Networking, which we do in partnership with edweb.net, and it is sponsored by ClassLink. And we are so pleased to welcome you all to our season six uh, of this endeavor. So with that, let's go ahead and jump in and let's get started. I want to give a very special thanks to our sponsor, ClassLink. This broadcast would not be happening for six years if we did not have the continuing support of ClassLink. So we thank them so much for their continued support of this endeavor. ClassLink, if you don't know already, is in its 25th year of operation with over 20 million users in 2,600 plus school systems. They are in K-12, higher ed, in 32 countries, in 15 different languages, a tremendous support for education with four statewide deployments, 6,000 plus single sign-ons and over 1,700 vendors working with them. We're gonna have Jerry Kimball, our friend from ClassLink, join us a little bit later to share some more specifics with you about the program. I just simply want to thank them for their continued sponsorship. As I mentioned just a little bit earlier, this broadcast, as well as the Empowered Superintendents Initiative, was created in partnership between AASA, the School Superintendents Association, and COSIN, the Consortium for School Networking. Because as education technology became more and more a part of the way we do everyday teaching and learning in education, both organizations recognized that we needed to provide support to school superintendents that was different than the support that we provide to chief technology officers and technology teams. So we look at technology innovation, but we look at it through the lens of superintendent leadership in our Empowered Superintendent Initiative, together with AASA and COSIN, who also both work on this broadcast that we do. Today, as I mentioned, we are honored to have three superintendents and a subject matter expert on uh, AI with us today. So I'd like to invite our guests to each share a little bit about their professional bio and the superintendents about the districts that they work in. So Dr. Friedman, I'm gonna start with you. Would you please introduce yourself, share your professional bio and tell us about Quakertown Community School District. Absolutely, thank you, Ann. Um, my name is Dr. Matthew Friedman. I am the proud superintendent of the Quakertown Community School District, uh, just uh, about an hour north of Philadelphia in southeastern Pennsylvania. I've uh, been in education now for 25 years. I started out as a classroom teacher, a high school social studies teacher in Western PA, just outside of Pittsburgh. Spent time in multiple districts in Western PA uh, as a middle school principal, director of curriculum, working my way up to an assistant superintendent, 
and then I was a chief academic officer leading to uh, some time in the superintendency, both in New Jersey and in Pennsylvania. Quakertown is a district of about 5,000 students, K to 12. We have eight buildings, five elementaries, one middle school, and one high school. And um, we are a suburban district that um, is, uh, is a diverse community that has a lot of um, community spirit and uh, I'm excited to be here today, but thank you very much. Thank you. We're thrilled to have you with us as well. And Dr. Kelly Mae Vollmer, please tell us a little bit about your professional bio and a little bit about Desert Sands Unified School District. Thanks, Anne. It's great to be here, first of all, with such a distinguished panel and really excited to spend the next hour with all of you. I actually started my career of a couple of decades as a classroom teacher, similar um, to what Dr. Friedman was sharing, uh, was a site level principal and then made a sharp right hand turn and became a chief technology officer, which I often say is probably the funnest job I will ever have had in my career. Um, and then I moved over, uh, thankfully, to be the assistant superintendent of educational services and got to bring technology with me which was a great marriage uh, between technology and curriculum. And now I very proudly serve um, as the superintendent of Desert Sands Unified School District. And I have to mention, I also am a very proud COSIN board member. Um, our district is a little under 27,000 students. Uh, we've got 34 buildings, about 79% um, lower socioeconomic in about a 750 square mile radius located in Southern California, not too far um, from David, so you'll get to hear about his area in a minute, but very happy to be here today. Thank you so much, Kelly. We're thrilled to have you join us today. And Kelly gave a brief intro to David. So Dr. Miyashiro, please tell us a little bit about your bio and about Cajon Valley Union School District. Thank you, Anne. Well, very similar to Matt and Kelly, except I was not the chief technology officer in my <laughs> career, but every other job um, on the way there. Cajon Valley is home to one of the most diverse populations in the country. We have over 40 languages spoken in our 28 schools serving 17,000 kids. And we have the largest Middle Eastern refugee population in the country, which is incredible to serve. Um, what's unique about us is our vision. Our vision is happy kids engaged in healthy relationships on a path to gainful employment. It's a very simple statement that's across our dais, but happy kids that are self-aware, have self-esteem and self-ethics to believe, healthy relationships, not just peer-to-peer, -peer, but peer-to-adult and adult-to-adult, and path to gainful employment. Our signature curriculum, World of Work, uh, starts in kindergarten and helps build vocational identity within kids. So by the time they get to eighth grade, they have a full understanding of their strengths, interests, and values and how to aim them in high school and post-secondary. Thank you for having me. Hey, thank you. Happy to have you here, and I'm so glad you shared that information about World of Work, and we'll touch base on that again in just a bit. And Mr. Pete Just, boy, are we thrilled to have you here today. So Pete, please tell us a bit about your background and, and your role as COSIN's AI subject matter expert. Thanks, Anne. Um, well, I started many years ago as a high school science teacher. Um, I actually did that for 13 years and was involved in pretty much every aspect of the school. Um, I really enjoyed um, teaching and uh, eventually uh, they pulled me into administrative roles. Um, I uh, served in Indianapolis, uh, two different urban districts. Uh, the, the, the last one, the last 24 years, uh, district, urban district, 17,000. Um, uh, many languages spoken there as well. I believe 70 uh, were there. But in my role um, there as both a chief operations officer, chief technology officer, I focused largely on the classroom and improvements there. Um, and then at, during that time, I also was a COSIN board member. I served as board chair for three years, uh, rolled off recently um, this past year, and uh, was named executive director of the Indiana CTO Council, uh, the state chapter in Indiana that I helped to, to start uh, many years ago. So it's been uh, fun many years in education. <laughs> Thank you. Boy, I, I, I know our participants are just really eager to get started in this conversation because all of you have so much to offer and thank you for sharing your backgrounds. And I do want to remind our participants in the attendee chat, 
please sign in. Let us know uh, where you're coming from today and perhaps what your role in, in education is as well. So we're happy to see all of you here. Thank you so much. We're going to base our conversation today around a one-pager, and I'll talk to you more about one-pager resources later that Cozen offers, but recently, Mr. Pete Just was involved in helping us create a one-page document on artificial intelligence and generative AI. And so that document is going to form the outline of our conversation today because we're going to look at specific leadership strategies that school leaders need to know when leading the work around artificial intelligence and generative AI. So we're going to start with some definitions that are on that page. And on the screen, you can see a definition for artificial intelligence. And it says it's the intellect shown by machines, which is based on the synthesized and predictive inferences of the information with which they are trained. Pete, I love that definition, but I'm going to ask you to give us sort of a, a real world, non-techie sort of talk, artificial uh, definition of artificial intelligence. Where might we have all encountered that before? Well, I'm sure there are many smart people on this uh, call today, but that's a pretty hard uh, quote to follow, I think, in, in terms of understanding what AI is. Artificial intelligence is really anything where we're using uh, some computational tools to try to do some aspects of what humans do. Um, it could be something as simple as moving a camera in a TV studio um, without the need for the person there because it can track uh, the person. It could be something um, as advanced as uh, being able to do calculations automatically um, on a daily basis, uh, that sort of thing. The, the, the important component is that there is an algorithm uh, that has been trained. Um, and it could be trained simply to focus on, you know, a face, um, like a tracking camera, or it could be something uh, to, that could be trained that would be used that would use a uh, text, which is, I think, what we're about to talk to here in terms of large language models. Thank you, Pete. So even something like if any of us use a, a driving assistant on our phone, right, to tell us which direction to go, that would be an example yeah. of artificial intelligence kind of helping us out, leading us there. Yeah, I mean, that that could be one. Uh, it, it's an ability to anticipate. So, for example, another good example is uh, many of us have become used to, as we're writing, um, uh, a, a guess as to what the next couple of words might be. Right. Um, that's an AI that's basically looking at the whole context of all the words that are used and then being able to predict if you've got these five words, the next word might be. Got it. Yeah. So even though we may not have known it by that name, artificial intelligence, many of us were engaged with it without even realizing that. But the latest one on the scene, right, is this whole issue around generative AI. And again, the definition on the screen is generative AI is a type of artificial intelligence that uses algorithms to produce new data, often in the form of images or text. So again, Pete, I'm going to turn to you. Give us kind of a, an everyday language interpretation of that and how that may be different from what we were just discussing about artificial intelligence. A lot of the intelligence that was artificial that we're used to is also maybe like a book recommender in Amazon, you know, something like that. Um, but what is really cool about generative AI is the first word, generative. It is generating something new something maybe for the first time ever, um, but definitely something new in the context of the questions that it's being asked or the prompts. So, you know, when you think of generative AI tools, of course, most people are thinking of ChatGPT. Of course, there's Bard. Of course, there's Bing. Of course, there's other new products. Um, I've talked recently about Claude. Um, these are all large language models that really use a algorithm or a you know, computer-backed um, predictor uh, tool, uh, complicated to explain, I, I won't do that, but um, those large language models basically are taking a bunch of information that they're trained on, content from the internet, uh, things of that nature, and then from that information, so for example, all the novels that have ever been written that are on the internet, you could then ask the large language model, ChatGPT, let's say, help me understand what happens in the story of a character like Harry Potter um, and, you know, give me a summary of how he would act in this situation. And so because it has those novels, for example, um, 
the, that material, the text that's been trained on, it will be able to answer your question by parsing all that information and then being able to deliver to you an answer to your prompt or your question on you know the specific thing that you asked. That's great. Thank you for that, Pete. Let's let's dive in. That's terrific. I appreciate that. So on the one pager that Pete was so instrumental in developing for us, there are seven essential leadership guidelines, and we're going to delve into these today. Overall, they are awareness, limitations of AI and generative AI, ethics and etiquette, ongoing training, reporting, policies, privacy and security measures. And I suspect there is not a district uh, around that is not dealing with at least one or two of these, but I'd like to poll our audience and we're gonna start our conversation around the first three. So what I'd like to ask the participants to do is respond to the poll as to which one of those first three essential leadership guidelines would you consider to be a top challenge in your school district today? Is it awareness to ensure that users are aware of AI tools and the benefits? Or is it the limitations? Are you able to explain the limitations of AI tools and the potential for errors and inaccuracies? Or is it dealing with ethics and etiquette, promoting good online etiquette, etiquette including proofreading, fact-checking, and all of the other areas around that. So it looks to me like we are seeing a pretty good trend on the third one there, which is on ethics and etiquette. But the other, the first one too, awareness is becoming an issue. So we'll keep that in mind as we continue our conversation. That was very helpful and thank you to the participants for doing that. So let's jump in. Let's start talking about awareness and to be aware. And because we have four panelists and uh, seven different topics, we're going to kind of alternate between the panelists and the topics today. But on this issue of being aware, Matt, let me turn to you first. How are you handling that in your district to ensure that users are aware of AI tools and the potential benefits? for K-12 education. Well, thank you, Ann. Um, I, first of all, I, I think you need to be transparent and inform. You need to you need to talk to a lot of different stakeholders in topics like this, uh, from teach classroom teachers to administrators to parents and to students. And uh, we can we do that through a multitude of ways in my current district, uh, professional development, uh, getting uh, getting information out to parents educating students on what tools are available, what we can and can't do as acceptable use inside the classroom. But one thing that we've done since the beginning of the year, we have uh, morning professional development time with all of our staff members. So we've given staff members voice and choice along each of the days. Uh, each day has a different theme. And Tuesdays happen to be Tech Tuesdays, and we focused on AI tools, and we've taken the approach that uh, we're stronger together. So we have teachers bring ideas to the table. We share experiences inside the classrooms. Our instructional coaches are going to be working with staff members on how to effectively use AI. Uh, as we've mentioned, I've heard it from several panelists already that um, you know, as Pete said AI has been around for a while. It's it's just learning how to really harness the power of the generative AI tools that we have out there right now and best effectively use them as instructional strategies inside the classroom. I, we, we take a look at and really say it's another tool in the tool belt. It's just how to use it effectively and make everyone aware. I appreciate that, Matt. Kelly, your thoughts, anything to add on to what Matt has just shared with us? Yeah, I, I love what they're doing. I'll just add, I think that, you know, initially there's this fear about AI, right? And so in the initial conversations, you heard a lot of ban it, block it. I think people quickly realize it's not going anywhere. Banning it and blocking it's probably not the answer. Um, I think what's challenging for us in education is we're used to having the answers and disseminating the answers, and we don't know all the answers yet for this. And so having an arena where we're all learning together I think is a great first step because it, it takes away some of that anxiety that I need to know everything about it before I sit with you and talk to you about it. Um, and it's just things are moving fast. And I think that creating learning style labs 
for your professional development. That's the approach we're taking. We're bringing teachers together. We're bringing administrators together. We're having conversations and we're, we're playing and we're talking about potential uses um, and working on you know other things that we'll talk more about in the webinar. But I, I think you have to give people time and space to get used to it and learn about it uh, so that they can be comfortable using it. Thank you both for that. You know, we hear often the phrase lifelong learners, and I think this is one example of how, yes, <laughs> we are continuing to learn. It isn't all over once you finish school. You've got to keep going. So thank you both for that. It's great examples there. The other area that we uh, talked about that leaders need to be aware of are the limitations. So how do you go about explaining the limitations of AI tools and the potential for errors or inaccuracies? Really, that does go along with teaching critical thinking skills to assess and validate AI output. output. And David, let me start with you on that, please. What is your thinking on that? We're in our second month of implementing generative AI for our teachers, but also with our student population. And so I'm, I'm learning a lot of new terms, but the CEO of SchoolJoy, Ian, who's her partner, shared with me the term hallucination. And I didn't believe him at first, but that's actually a technical term for when generative AI produces false information as if it were true. And it does that not because it's trying to be disingenuous or to, um, to be wrong, it, it doesn't know better. And so what I've learned with our new tools with SchoolJoy is we can control for content and put guardrails on the AI. We're using GPT-4 on top of Azure uh, so that we can utilize our content, our curriculum, and really confine what is true so that we know in an environment with students, if we're gonna use it for content, that we can know that the, the data and the resources are, are true as well. Um, I think that's important for, for both educators and students to understand and utilize these tools in that way. But I also think that the limitations are here. And just like in the beginning of the, the iPhone, when the App Store was released, we're at the beginning of this crest of these tools gonna get better and better and better. We're at the very beginning. And so I think that just within weeks or months that they'll get smarter and better and faster. Yeah, no, David, that's a very great analogy. And I love your use of the term hallucinations as well. That is very descriptive and pulls that up. But yes, it is a learning process. And you're right, it's all going to grow and we're going to grow together on that. Pete, you're thinking around this as you've worked in this arena and what you would advise to school leaders when they're dealing with limitations. Yeah, I think David's right on in terms of some of the concerns uh, with what our officially called hallucinations. Um, and, and also there's issues of, you know, what is the data that the, the uh, tool has been trained on? For example, ChatGPT doesn't have anything from the last 18 months, you know? So if you're asking it something, it will still answer you, uh, but it won't know what it's talking about. To David's point, it, it's been trained in a certain fashion. Uh, it's trained on older information. So there is a factuality um, concern sometimes uh, based on the training data. Um, these tools only know what they have been told. So um, as David was talking, I was thinking almost like a kindergartner, right? Who is just following you along, holding your finger and, and pretty much anything that comes out of your mouth is the gospel uh, truth. Um, and, you know, these tools are similar in that way. We have to think of them and they they also potentially have, and, and actually I think factually have bias. Um, and that bias is based on, again, the training materials uh, that uh, have been provided. Now, again, this isn't on any intention of those who are training it, just the fact that we live in a biased world. And so data sets are going to have bias. And so we have to be aware of these things as educators. Um, I think the most important thing is I think we've already heard here is being transparent about them. Um, and honestly, um, just like if you would ask someone a question who may not be an expert and they give you an answer, you might want to fact check that, um, especially if it requires money, if it requires, uh, you know, uh, concerns about health um, and so on and so forth. Uh, make sure that the information is accurate. I think everyone might be familiar with the story of the lawyer who tried to use ChatGPT um, or some other generative AI tool to cite various types of legal precedents uh, and chat GPT made it all up. Wow. Well, that person's in trouble. <laughs> they probably should have fetched yeah. that. 
So, uh, these are just realities that we have in regard to uh, these tools. And so like anything, knowing the limitations and putting on the training wheels, I think is really important. Thank you, Pete. And I think that's a great segue to the next area, which is ethics and etiquette, right? You know, how do you promote good online etiquette, including proofreading to what Pete was just referring to and fact checking? And how do you go about teaching ethics in relationship to AI created or assisted work products? And, and clearly we're all learning that that is more and more important as we get in this field every day. Kelly, let me start with you on this ethics question. How do you help your staff to know the importance of that? Yeah, I appreciate that. You know, I think obviously Pete mentioned some great examples, right? That we've got to teach students explicitly about the limitations of AI and what it can and can't do. And they need to do things like fact checking. Um, but, you know, I read a really um, great article recently in AASA's uh, latest edition. It was Quentin Shepard and Dave McLeod um, talked about AI and I, they talked about something really important that we're thinking a lot about in our district as well. And that is that we don't just look at students as the end users that are using AI, but we really look at them as citizens in today's world and in tomorrow's world. And so it's really important that they understand um, the potential impact that AI can have on society, on economy, um, and that we've got to train them to be good, informed decision makers as they're choosing how to use AI. And that speaks, I think, back to what, um, you know, Pete was talking about, right? If we're teaching them how to be informed decision makers, they're going to do fact checking. They're going to proofread. Um, they're not just going to take what's given to them. So um, I think when we're talking about ethics and etiquette, really ensuring that we're teaching our students who they need to be and not just what the tool is and how to use it, um, and, but really the implications of using it is huge. Yeah, no, thank you for that. And David, your your thoughts around ethics and etiquette as you work with both staff and with students, how, how do you do that? How do you promote that? I think building on what Kelly had to say, uh, honesty and, and being forthright with what we're doing and how to use it. So it's okay to say, you know, I wrote a love letter to my wife on Valentine's Day using ChatGPT, but you better tell her that <laughs> I use this to start off with and then boom, there's the piece of jewelry or whatever it is that is from the heart. <laughs> but I think that level of honesty is going to be uncomfortable at first for everybody to be able to say, you know, actually, I'm, I'm using these tools to do some of these things. But that's the environment I think we have to create is to be open and honest and not be shy or bashful about, you know, using some of these advanced technologies. The other thing with ethics is from a district perspective, in the beginning, when we saw some districts completely shut it down, that was unethical behavior. Because just like uh, kids with devices and ubiquitous access to Wi-Fi have a greater advantage than their underserved, underprivileged peers, this technology is going to exacerbate that gap. So the affluent children with resources and parents that support this type of work, if they have access, but low-income students don't, then we're really being unethical. So I think access is another thing we need to look at, which is why we're partnering to make sure all 17,000 kids will have training and access to these tools as they develop. David, I really appreciate that. I think expanding on what ethics is in this environment is really important. And I'm, I'm so glad that you brought that up, that the issue of equity comes into play as we do that. So yeah, thank you for that. That was a great discussion on those first three items. Let's look at the other four items. And I want to invite our participants to kind of come in and take a look at this, and then we'll take a poll again. Which one of the last four essential leadership guidelines would you consider to be another top challenge in your district today? Is it the issue of ongoing training to provide ongoing innovation training and reinforcement on the best way to use AI tools? Or is it on the issue of reporting? How do we educate the school community about how to report incidents or concerns that may have happened in the use of AI or generative AI? And policies in your district, have you been able to set policies and to create a culture of safe and responsible use? And I know that sometimes that takes a little time and we're still kind of all new in this environment right now. But the last one then is the issue of privacy and security measures. Have you reviewed your student data privacy policy and practices to see, are they relevant? Do they relate 
to now using AI tools. So let's go ahead and put the poll on the screen and I'd appreciate you all responding to let us know which of these are becoming more challenging or for you or are already a challenge for you. Looks like training and policies are coming in at this point. Both of which have to do with being sure that everyone involved knows what they need to know, right? Around the training, which is on the usage, but also understanding the policies that your district has in place. And that expands not only to your teachers and administrators, but to students and the larger community as well. I think we've got a good sense of, of where uh, the challenges lie with our participants. And thank you all for responding. It really helps us as we move through this conversation. All right, friends, let's let's delve into this one, the issue of ongoing training. How do we do that? And Pete, let me start with you. What are some recommendations, and particularly as you're working with the Indiana Council and you're working with other groups in, in helping school leaders, what are some ways that you would recommend for providing ongoing innovation training and reinforcement on the best way to use AI tools in the safe and responsible manner that we've been discussing? Well, you know, I think that my, like, like a lot of things, um, we need to not make, um, well, we need to not make this different than the way we do other things. Um, so uh, just like when we're thinking about policy, we need to think about um, putting this under existing policy, acceptable use, uh, responsible use policy. If you've got certain types of policy guidelines about AI, uh, generative AI that you want to use. In the same way, I think that with training, um, we need to make a commitment uh, and include artificial intelligence, generative AI specifically in the training protocols for your district. Um, and the truth is it kind of fits everywhere. I think the focus of training right now is uh, kind of what we're talking about today. What is it? Um, how can it be used? Um, but also um, there are a lot of questions about how do you cite it? When do you cite it? Um, to David's point, you know, it's probably wise to be more transparent rather than less transparent. But then there are some things where you may use uh, this tool as a scaffold to then build upon. And maybe the tool at the end of the product might only be 10 percent. Well, you know, it, how, how do you talk about that? And honestly, that may come down to the academic integrity statements that you have for your school district. And it may be different from district to district. Um, so training teachers on that, I think, is really critical. And I think everyone should be doing that right now. Um, the question about how we're using it in our schools with students, um, that should require some level of training as well for the students, because whether you know, to David's point, there's a lot of comments and, and thoughts about what should and shouldn't be allowed um, and also digital equity concerns. Um, but whatever your school district is determining um, to do in terms of student use, students still need to know how to use this tool. Uh, they should be able to practice in some way. Um, I remember um, when I was learning typing uh, and we used a paper keyboard, right? I mean, we didn't have the in our district, I guess, to afford real keyboards. Um, and so we learned, I told you how old I am, on paper keyboards. There may be other ways to learn generative AI prompt generation and how to construct prompts than actually having to go into the tool um, live. Um, I think that's ideal. But uh, training, you know, it's everything from administrative training to teacher training to student training. And you need to have a strategy uh, for each of those. Thank you, Pete. Matt, what is the approach you have taken in the last year or two within your district with regarding training? And briefly kind of give us an overview of that. Absolutely. Um, well, as I mentioned a couple of questions ago, um, you know, we've taken the approach, we're, we're talking about it in our morning professional development with teachers. But I think building off of what Pete said, because I think his his answer was was pretty inclusive of everything that I've been part of and that I've been doing um, in the district, I think it's learning what it is and, and what it isn't. I think we're dispelling some myths about what it isn't. Often, you know, the, the first thing that, that employees fear is that AI or generative AI is going to replace humans in some way, shape, or form. And as we get together and have conversations on instructional approaches, on how we incorporate AI, how students are using it, success stories about ways teachers have tried to incorporate, you know, 
some sort of generative AI into their classroom uh, practices, I, I think the the shoulders start to drop a little bit and everyone starts to relax a little bit. Uh, and as Pete said, it, it's all about educating the layers of stakeholders. You, you need building leadership to understand what they're looking at inside of classrooms, how they can support teachers, how teachers can support students, and ultimately how we can support parents and uh, guardians and, and families in the community, understanding how we are incorporating it in a, a safe and meaningful way. It's it's a teaching and learning tool, and it, and it can be very powerful in, in the way we use it. But I, I think just understanding that it's part of professional development and it's not standalone. I often mm-hmm. think about the evolution of uh, technology in the, in the classroom. We went from marching kids down to computer labs to having some computers in the classroom to, you know, devices, supporting teachers, the, the ability to have a one-to-one setting in the classroom. Uh, so, um, I, I think like anything, this will continue to evolve and, and we'll be able to share successes and challenges along the way. But I think that's how you learn and grow together. Right. Yeah, Matt, I appreciate that comment. It really, uh, emphasizes the fact that in the world we live in, change is the new normal. We're never done, right? We just got to keep on learning and keep on moving. And after all, we're in the learning business. That's what we do. So I appreciate that perspective. Thank you. All right. This next one, how do we help the school community know how to report incidents or concerns? And Kelly, let me start with you on this one. Are, what, are, what are the processes in place for that? Uh, Really great question, and I think really important. Um, Matt mentioned it earlier, we were talking about awareness, I think it was, and he talked about transparency and how important transparency is. And I think when you're talking about um, having a school community that's involved um, so that they can report concerns, if people don't even know what you're doing, they're not going to be able to report concerns, right? So I think it, it starts even before that with an awareness and with transparency and making sure that our, our community and our families know what we're doing and know what, what students are learning with the tools. Um, there's actually an article, the Office of Educational Technology um, did a report recently on AI and the future of teaching and learning. And one of their recommendations I thought was so wise, they talk about prioritizing, strengthening trust. And that's so important in education, right? That we have a trusting relationship um, with our community, with the families that we serve. Um, and so transparency is part of that. But distrust in AI is very common. And I mentioned that a little bit early on, right? People get, we, we fear what we don't know and what we don't understand. Um, but also, you know, people are aware, and I'm sure we'll talk about this in a minute um, at our next topic, but they're aware that there's the potential harm with um personalized information getting out when you're using AI. Um, it's possible that there's not enough research around AI, people will say, right? So there's there's all these fears and distrusts that come into play. And so I think when you're talking about reporting it, in addition to transparency, we really have to create um, venues for people to have conversations around it so that we can talk about what we're doing and bring down anxiety. I appreciate what Matt said just even a second ago, there are so many lessons we've learned along the way that will relate to AI as well, even though it's different. When we went one-to-one, everyone was afraid, you can't send the Chromebooks home, they'll get broken, and then you won't have Chromebooks, right? Because it was new and we were doing it different. And then, you know, what do you do when a kid writes a note on a Chromebook that's mean? Well, what'd you do when they wrote it on paper, (laughs) right? There are things we know to do, we just have to apply those things. And so, Reporting, it's the same kind of of idea, educating people, you know, plagiarism is going to be a big topic. What does that even look like now? Um, And so educating people on what that looks like and how to report it if they have concerns, how to report it if they have concerns about personal identifiable information being at risk, Um, really putting those procedures in place and then notifying your audience and your community how they can report. It's going to be huge, just like it's always been in education uh, with any of the things that we're doing. Yeah, no, I appreciate that, Kelly. Pete, I am watching the clock, but I want to give you a chance if you've got something briefly to add to what Kelly said. Who who should be the recipient of these reports in a school district? Who should who is it the chief technology officer? Is it the soup? Who do you think? Who who do you recommend? 
Okay. Pete, I think we lost your audio. Yep, that's what happens when you're muted. Um, a little bit of background <laughs> noise, here, so I thought I'd mute. Um, Kelly covered a lot of material, and I think it's pretty much exactly what I was thinking of talking about in this, uh, in, in, regarding this. I think the question is, what are you reporting? Um, I mean, is it a student reporting that someone is using generative AI, which by the way, if you're a teacher giving old school assignments today, I can guarantee you 90%, maybe more, of your students that are connected to the web at home are using it or on their phone are using it. Um, there's tools that can work with, you know, um, apps on your phone. They're right. probably using it. Are students reporting um, or is it parents that are concerned? Um, I think, you know, those are different types of questions, different types of reports, uh, if you will. So obviously things need to flow up to the superintendent. If it's a parent, um, if it's a student, it's probably more at the school level. Um, and I think it, it, the question we probably need to sharpen our pencil on is exactly what is it um, that we're talking about in terms of reporting? I think I understand the concerns, but what exactly are we reporting um, is a question. Thank you, Pete. No, that makes good sense. Uh, let's, uh, we'll move ahead to policies because that was one of the things in, in the survey as well. Uh, so within a school district, how do we do that? How do we set policies to create a culture of safe and responsible use to mitigate those potential risks associated with AI tools within a school environment, while also iterating the effective ways to leverage that. David, let me start with you. How have we approached policies in Cajon Valley for this one? Fortunately, we have the California School Boards Association and they put out sample policies as new things come available based on law and, and FERPA, whatever the different issues are. And so the sample policies we just got are around the same things we've just been discussing in terms of access, academic integrity, integrity, honesty, data security, data privacy. I think the data security, data privacy is going to need to take a different lens. We've tried to rely on vendors to comply with standards like EdFi and Project Unicorn so that we know when we hire a company to do some type of digital thing that it's safe and secure and adheres to standards. With this new ability with generative AI and teachers being able to produce content and curriculum, we're going to have to really think about that. And the ones who should be worried right now are the textbook companies and content companies, much like the Screen Actors Guild. It's not that we're going to replace them, but we're not going to need them as much anymore. And with personalized content, we can produce a textbook tailored to the student based on their interests and career aspirations explain polynomials using Taylor Swift songs and take into account that Jonathan likes outdoor hiking and this, we can produce an entire content around those things with those interests to the sp specific children. So the policies around accuracy and, and true data are going to be important. I haven't seen anything yet that uh, is a sample, but I think as, as we start going after content and providers and producing our own curriculum, we're going to need a whole different set of standards and policies. Thank you for that, David. And I am going to need to move on to the next slide real quick. And Kelly, let me just have you wrap up this conversation for us here on privacy and security measures. What have you done in the district to review student data privacy policies, practices, and security measures to incorporate AI uh, in those? Right. Um, so we're we're like David looking at sample policies, um, you know, and there's some being generated in, in several different locations right now. I'll say this just for brevity's sake. I think it's really important um, that when we're talking about privacy and security measures, that we are really looking at um, identifiable information, right? Because AI's got the ability to do different things that maybe we're not accustomed to working with in the past, and so we really have to make sure um, that we're looking at that and that that our policies, as David just mentioned, they're not so prescriptive that we have to change them constantly, right? Because there's going to be continued privacy and security measures that come up as new technologies advance, as AI advances. Um, but I, I think the biggest thing is really looking at um, that identify, identifiable information. Just to give you an example, like student voice is considered identifiable information under COPA 
but I know that right now um, the FTC is looking at some allowances for utilizing it as it works with AI and not violating. So it's it's really important to know um, what's being used, how it's being used, what's being put in, is it being shared with the third party? All of those things we've got to continue to look at as we're looking at privacy and security. And I'm sure Pete could add a million more things beyond what I just said, but that's what we're working on right now. One of the questions, thank you so much for that. One of the questions that had come up in uh, the Q&A and I'll open it to anybody who wants to do this, is about the age restrictions. So if there's a, a chat GPT that says, and Pete, maybe you want to address this for us, you know, the age restrictions, how do we do that in a K-12 environment? How does that work? Well, I think that we have to look at it like any other web app. Um, this has kind of been a bane of CTO's existence for 20 years, <laughs> maybe increasingly. Uh, we have no idea what web apps our teachers are using. Um, we have tried in our district uh, to try to manage that, but it's pretty darn impossible unless you want to shut down a lot of the web and you know have all the problems associated with that and free research and so on. So, um, so most of us don't do that. And so the risk we take then is we um, assume that teachers are going to understand uh, that, you know, there are laws that they should not break in terms of student, uh, in terms of parent approval of uh, students using certain tools, uh, especially online tools. So uh, to me, um, the way I think of this is the training piece that we talked about earlier should include uh, components on uh, FERPA, HIP, uh, you know, all these different uh, COPA rules that we're under in terms of trying to maintain um, the appropriate use of the technologies and ChatGPT and other types of AI tools uh, fall into that same categorization. Oh, David, point. any others to comment? <laughs> and, and the individual uh, applications themselves have those age restrictions. And I think that's where the question was coming from. I would say to our participants, uh, this has been an enormously engaging and informative panel on a topic that is only going to continue to grow and develop for all of us. So our four panelists have graciously provided their email addresses. If you have other questions that you would like to address to any one of our panelists, please feel free to reach out to them by email and uh, they will respond or refer you to somebody else who can respond to that, but they are happy to do that. So uh, we thank you all so much for that and appreciate Matt, Kelly, David, and Pete for being willing to take additional questions after today's broadcast. I, before we move on, though, I do want to, especially to our three superintendents, pose this question, and I do this in all of our uh, Ed Leader panel broadcasts with superintendents. AI is just one of the, uh, what people might call the crazy world of superintendents today. You know, there are just a lot of things going on that superintendents maybe even five, ten years ago did not have to deal with that now is a reality. So to our superintendents, I would say, if you were teaching a course in Superintendency 101, what is the best advice you would give to both new and even veteran superintendents, and particularly those aspiring to be superintendents or to serve in any other district leadership position? And Matt, let me start with you on that. If you could give me just a brief sentence on what your best advice would be. I think you need to be a good listener. I, I think if you listen, you will learn um, what people um, are concerned about in your district. And I think you'll learn the exciting things happening in your district. But you, you truly, in order to be an effective leader, I think you need to be an effective listener. I couldn't agree more. That is spot on. Kelly, your thoughts. What would you advise somebody maybe thinking about becoming a superintendent? Um, well, I would say, and all the more in today's world with AI, right, um, it's really important that you have a strong uh, personal learning network around you, that you're not going it alone, that you've got colleagues that you can call upon and rely on. No one person has all the answers to everything. And so I think having a network of people around you that you can lean on is incredibly important. Thank you. And David, anything you might share with aspiring superintendents or brand newbies? I would share that I think that the job has changed and it, it probably will remain this way, but it it's political. And so 
for those that say, you know what, I want to be a superintendent, but I don't like the politics. That's not an option anymore. You have to embrace that that com conversations and controversy will happen. That's where we lean into. And to Matt's point, we lean in, we listen to all perspectives. And then at the end of the day, lead decision-making that may be imperfect. And that's the best thing I could say is make the best imperfect answer or solution and then move forward and bring your team along. But but yeah, embrace politics and get to be with those that, that understand how to help you navigate those relationships. Well put. That is a reality of the world we live in today. So thank you, you three, for that. I now want to invite my friend Jerry Kimball from ClassLink to come on and share some information with us. Jerry is the National Academic Advisor for ClassLink. And Jerry, please walk us through some of the wonderful resources uh, that ClassLink provides. Sure. Thank you, Anne. And what a great conversation. I've been waiting all day for this webinar and you all did not disappoint. This was terrific. Well, let's talk about ClassLink a little bit. So ClassLink is an incredible tool that helps simplify technology and education. It's designed to make things easier for students and teachers to access all their digital resources from one central location. And with ClassLink, you can log in just once and instantly access your school's online learning platforms, textbooks, educational apps, and more. It also saves you the time and hassle by eliminating the need to remember all those usernames and passwords. Plus, ClassLink ensures that your educational journey remains organized and convenient, making learning seamless and more enjoyable. So if you look at this slide, you can see right in the middle, it gives you a brief overview of what ClassLink looks like. You see a computer there and each landing page, and that's what you see right there on this laptop, is a landing page, is designed for the user that's using it. So if you're a fourth grade student, yours will look different than a teacher's landing page. Each page has all the tools that you specifically need. So it's very personalized. And this is where our single sign-on comes in. You can just click on one of those apps and go straight to it which saves us a lot of time in the classroom. Next at the bottom are the analytics. And ClassLink provides accurate analytics for administrators and teachers so they can see who's showing up in these digital spaces, what tools are they using, and how long are they using them. ClassLink provides this data to districts so that they can make really informed decisions. Now, if you look at the top right corner, this is the area that ClassLink assists our IT departments with OneSync and Roster. And that's a little bit technical for all of us on the webinar today. But I do wanna to talk to you about something that our tech departments are very concerned about these days, and that is security. And so ClassLink recently teamed up with concerned education organizations, and they formed what is called the Cybersecurity Coalition for Education, and they developed a cybersecurity rubric for education. Now, cybersecurity rubrics are available, but they've always been for businesses, and this one is designed specifically for school districts. This rubric is free. And it's a self-assessment tool that school leaders can use to access their cybersecurity practices and make significant improvements. I'm going to switch the slide here. So not only is the rubric available, but also a training to become a rubric evaluator. And since this summer, we have over 200 rubric evaluators that have gained their certification. So if you're interested in becoming an evaluator or just looking at your system and taking a hard look at what it is you're doing well and what you need to improve on, go to this website, cybersecuryrubric.org. And again, it is free. So these are some of the ways that ClassLink is empowering are over 200 million users in 2,600 school districts to keep information safe. But we're also doing some other cool things here. 
And that one of them I want to talk about is the linked up podcast for educators. You can access this podcast, listen in, and also gain free CEU credit. We have issued certificates to teachers and educators around the nation, helping them to get their recertification. And it gives them choice and voice in what they want to hear more about. We have um, everything from blended learning to AI to equity. There's something for everyone on our Linked Up podcast. So today I want to extend a special thank you to our superintendents for sharing their valuable insights and helping us to shape the future of American education. So thank you from ClassLink. If you are a customer, thank you so much. And if you're not, we sure would like to be on this journey with you. So thanks so much. Jerry, thank you. And thanks again to ClassLink for their continued support. Uh, always important to have you here. Thank you so much. With that, I'm gonna to begin to wrap up. I do want to offer a few resources to our, our audience today. One is if you're interested in learning more about joining AASA, the link is on the bottom of the slide. Go to aasa.membership to learn more about that school superintendent association. Uh, one of the events that AASA is doing quite soon is a visit to Dr. Miyashiro's district. So briefly, David, tell us what is happening on November 15th through the 17th in Cajon Valley. Thank you. Tom Vander Ark will be keynoting and facilitating conversations with AI experts and career development. So what day one is school tours. We're gonna have a party on the Midway after, which is the Fighter Town USA Top Gun Experience. You can be Maverick. And then we'll end with an ice cream social and a breakfast on Friday. So please come see us. What a great opportunity. Thank you for sharing that. And appreciate AASA sponsoring that and doing that with you. That is terrific. Uh, if you are interested in learning about COSEN, check out COSEN.org slash membership. If you're not currently a member, we would love for you to join. I want to reference two wonderful conferences coming up, though it's great to meet virtually. It's also great to meet face to face. And uh, AASA is having their National Conference on Education in February in San Diego, California. You can learn more at nce.aasa.org. And the COSEN conference this year will be in April in Miami, Florida. And check that one out as well. Registration is up for both of those now. So available, not up. It is available for you to register. For those conferences. So we hope to see you there. We will be doing some superintendent panels on technology in both uh, conferences. So I'd love to catch up with you there. Also want to just share some very quickly free resources that AASA and COSEN have created together under the Empowered Superintendents Initiative, which is also sponsored by ClassLink and Jamf and partners with EdWeb on that process. We have a toolkit for you, the Empowered Superintendent Toolkit that has an executive summary and two modules, one on the imperatives for technology leadership and another one with action steps for strengthening your technology leadership team. There are also self-assessments for superintendents, for CTOs, and to use with a district leadership team. The data from those self-assessments is yours. It is not collected, but it is yours to help drive future leadership and thinking in your district. And then we have some financial technology innovation strategies and tools for you as well, looking at uh, total cost of ownership and uh, also the value of investment. All of these free resources are easily accessible at cozen.org slash superintendents. One of our more popular resources are our one-pagers, where we look at technology issues in what I call non-techie talk, looking at it. So if a board member were to ask Kelly, what are we doing about student data privacy? She can quickly pull up a, a one-pager there. So those are there. And the one highlighted in purple is the one that we went through today. So. Uh, Feel free to check those out. They have been extremely helpful to superintendents and school leaders whenever they have questions on any of these technology-related issues. COSEN has some great resources, which Pete has been a great part of, on AI, more and more coming forward. So again, check out COSEN.org slash AI. There's a new artificial intelligence report there for you to download and other resources there as well. So please be sure to check those out. AASA also has a number of resources on artificial intelligence. So if you go to the AASA website and do a search for artificial intelligence, you will see multiple articles 
webinars and so forth there for you to take a look at and research as well. And we have another uh, Ed Leader panel coming up the second Monday in November, which will be on leveraging technology to provide equitable learning opportunities for all. We're going to be looking at digital equity, not just around, but including deployment and Wi-Fi access at home and at school, but also around things like teaching and learning and other considerations that we have to keep in mind to be sure that we are using the technology to address everyone's learning needs. So check out that one. It will be at home.edweb.net slash supers and registration is available for that now. I want to thank all of you for joining us today. And my goodness, I have to thank our superintendents and our AI expert, Pete Just, as well. Dr. Miyashiro, Dr. Kelly Mae Vollmer, and Dr. Matt Friedman, thank you. And Jerry, again, thank you for being here. And thanks to ClassLink for their continued support. Once again, you have the email addresses of our panelists on the screen. Feel free to reach out to them if you need more information. My address is there as well. If you want to learn more about ClassLink, check out ClassLink.com. There is also a, a tiny URL address on the screen to give feedback to us on this. We always appreciate hearing from our participants and we take your comments quite seriously and appreciate those comments as well. So with that, I will bid everybody farewell and a final, final thank you. Thanks so much to all of you. Have a good rest of your week and a good rest of this school year. Stay well, everybody. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this EdWeb podcast. If you'd like to receive a CE certificate, you must watch the video recording. Recordings and quizzes can be found in the EdWebinar archives. Please visit home.edweb.net slash podcasts for more information.